The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Well, let's grab our Bibles and go to Revelation chapter number 2. Revelation chapter number 2. Before you're seated tonight, we'll read our passage of Scripture, and we'll dive in. I'm so grateful to have every child here tonight, and children right afterwards. We'll, uh, I'll, I'll get with you for pastors, pals, and thankful that you're here. I'd encourage you, children, to grab out a notepad and try to write down. Uh, we make it easy for you. Write down the notes that are on the screen. Write those down and just try to uh, stay along with the message. God can speak to your heart, and I believe that, and I'm thankful for what God has done in my heart in an early age and through the preaching of his word. So tonight, as we gather around the word, I want to encourage our children in that regard. Uh, take notes, open up your Bibles, ask your parents to help you with that. Revelation chapter number 2 and verse number 21 is where we're going to begin. Verse number, uh, sorry, verse number 18 is where we're going to begin. This is the fourth church that has received a letter from Jesus Christ. And uh, that still strikes me every time I think about that letter from Jesus Christ. And uh, he intended for us to have these letters, and so they're helpful for us tonight as we read. Verse number 18, Revelation chapter number 2, the Bible says this, And unto the angel of the church of Thyatira write, These things saith the Son of God, who hath his eyes like unto a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. And before we go any further, I just really want you to stop and let me read that verse again. And I want you to notice the fact that Jesus Christ announces, different from the other times, he announces a name. And we just sang it in that song, crown him the son of God, right? Crown him the son of God. So notice it says, and unto the angel of the church of Thyatira, write, these things saith the Son of God. The Son of God. Now that's a, that's a way to start a letter. I mean, right there, I mean, he has established his deity, his authority, in every, in every sense of the word, the Son of God is writing this. And uh, right now at Grace Baptist Church on this February the 28th, 2021, the Son of God is talking to us through his word. And by God's grace, I, I don't want to get in his way. Whose eyes, who hath his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like fine brass. I know thy works, and thy charity, and service, and faith, and thy patience, and thy works, and the last to be more than the first, notwithstanding I have a few things against thee, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess, to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed unto idols. And I gave her space to repent, in the mercy of God amazing, of her fornication, and she repented not. Behold, I will cast her into a bed, and them that commit adultery with her into great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works." But unto you, I say, and unto the rest in Thyatira, as many as have not this doctrine, this doctrine of Jezebel, and which have not known the depths of Satan. Think about that. 
as they speak. I will put upon you none other burden, but that which ye have already hold fast till I come. And he that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end, to him will I give power over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron. As the vessel of a potter shall they be broken to shivers, even as I received of my Father. And I will give him the morning star. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Let's read that last verse together. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. And would you be seated? May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. And I'd like to again ask us just tonight, I don't do this out of rut, but I just think that it would be appropriate for us to bow and ask the Lord to speak to our hearts and quiet our hearts before him and, uh, and just be able to focus on his word tonight. It's an important passage of scripture. So would you bow there? And I'll pray in just a moment. Would you ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to my heart? And uh, would you help me to have a heart that's ready to receive? Father, you have spoken to us your word tonight through the reading of it. And in all reality, in a, in a perfect world, Lord, it seems that that would be sufficient for us to have just simply heard you speak and for us to go our way and to be changed. But Lord, you, you know what you are doing and you've ordained the, the foolishness of preaching uh, to help us, Lord, to assimilate the doctrine within your, within your word. You told us that your word was profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that we, as people of God, may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. And then you, Lord, commanded Timothy to preach the word to be instant, in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, and to exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Lord, you have designed this moment. And we, as your people, want to humbly enter into this moment and receive your word, your truth. Now, Lord, I, I'm asking you, and you know my heart, but I'm asking you that you would, in a very real sense, that you would hide me and that you would allow us as your church, your body, to receive your word, to hear your voice. Lord, give us wisdom. Lord, you told us that it is a, a, a good workman that rightly divides the word of God. Lord, give me your spirit's power to accomplish that tonight. And would you be honored uh, in our response to your word? Thank you for how you've been teaching us as a church. Thank you for the revival meetings that you've, you've blessed us with and all the preaching. Lord, our hearts are full, but again, we need you to speak to us. Lord, would you, in the quiet of this, this moment, in this, this time, would you give us what we need, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thyatira is a city that is much smaller than the rest of the cities that we've dealt with. Last time we met together in this series, we looked at the church of Pergamos, which is about 40 miles uh, to the north and to the, 
to the west of, of, uh, of Thyatira. Uh, this Thyatira is in modern-day Turkey, and uh, it was known for uh, having abundant crops. It was not a large city, but it was known for having abundant crops. It was a military town, uh, similar to, uh, to here in Dayton, uh, about, uh, about 7.30 every morning and 5 o'clock every night. The military base uh, chimes uh, in the morning with Reveille, and at night, it, uh, the Star Spangled Banner, and we can open up our back uh, deck door, and we can listen to it uh, every, every single night in that way. I'm reminded every day that we live next to a military base, and then sometimes the planes, um, planes flying out uh, over at late hours of the night, doing their maneuvers and, and uh, training and so on. But it was a military town. It was a, uh, it was a place uh, that had many military in it. It was a commercial center for many guilds or unions. And we've talked a lot about the guilds through this, this series, that those guilds hel held great sway over the populace of a town. In fact, uh, many of those, uh, of those guilds required that you would give your allegiance to a god or to Caesar. And uh, that to Caesar was not so much in Thyatira, but to others, uh, being a part of the guild meant that you were often going to be pressured into engaging in immorality and idolatry. And we see that as a reoccurring theme in these churches um, around Asia Minor. Uh, they, uh, they had an industry there that you might recognize over in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 16. There was a lady named Lydia. Do you remember her? And she was a seller of purple. And so she came from this city, uh, not saying that, uh, that she was a part of uh, the, the, uh, the, the first church there. It seemed that, that she had migrated over uh, to another city, but she was a seller of purple, and uh, understandably she came out of the city that that's, that's a part of their profession. Uh, not just cloth, but also there was a clothed-dying guild. And so their big, their big product was the, the seller of purple, and that was a lucrative business of there. And so Lydia, in Acts 16, and verse number 4, was a, a person that came to Christ under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. They were also famous for their bronzeware. And you'll notice that Jesus often relates to different things uh, in, in portraying or, or saying who he is to a community based on what, they, on what they are and what they know. So they would have known bronze. And when Jesus says, I have feet like fine brass, they would have understood the whole process of refining brass. They boasted of a special temple to Apollo, the sun god. The sun god. And uh, Apollo, one of the most important deities in the Greek pantheon, the sun god and also, the god, uh, also a god of healing, prophecy, poetry, and of music. And he was a protector of crops and herds. And so they worshipped, and that was the focus of that town, around the sun god. Is it any wonder that Jesus declared himself to be the son of God? And what an amazing thing that that is. It was the likely the least significant city of all the different cities that Jesus wrote to. Yet, if you'll notice... <laughs> If you'll notice, and if your Bible has headings, you can see in there the church of Sperna got four, um, four verses. The church of Ephesus got seven. But you have this church of Thyatira, a small city, and away from the, the rest, kind of out, uh, out and away. Uh, it, was this, it was this city that got the longest letter from the Lord Jesus Christ addressing the issues within the church. And so I want to jump right into this because it is very important that we just receive this letter from the Lord Jesus Christ, realizing all these things about Thyatira. 
Thyatira, but Thyatira was a church that Jesus paid particular attention to and gave very clear instructions to, and I believe that it has much bearing for us as an American church. I do not want to preach to American churches. I want to preach to Grace Baptist Church, all right? You with me here? And listen, as I come tonight, my heart is, is burdened, and I, I trust that the Lord will enable me to, to share that with you. But uh, friends, listen, we, we as an American church here at the Grace Baptist Church can get off focus, and we can allow things into our church that, that Jesus can and does address through his word on the Bible, and I believe he's going to address some things tonight that will be really helpful to us going forward and allowing him to build his church. Now, he wants to do this. This is his promise, is it not? But we get in the way of that. You remember in Acts chapter six, um, uh, Matthew chapter 16, uh, he says there, listen, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, and now I'm going to go and die. I'm going to sacrifice my life for the church because I love you and I want to bring you to myself. And Peter says, no not willing to do that. I'm not willing to go that far. And what does Jesus say to Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things of God. And he says, listen, if anyone's going to follow after me, if anyone's going to be a part of what I'm doing in the church and the building of the church, he's going to have to deny himself daily. He's going to have to take up his cross and follow after me. And so you realize very, very quickly, very quickly, that if Jesus is going to do this, we're going to have to allow him to address things in our lives. And even at some points to say to you and I, get thee behind me, Satan, you savor not the things of, of God. Can you imagine hearing those words from the Savior, from the Son of God? I, I think I would be a little bit rebuked. But if we're all honest, we've all been in those Peter moments where we've needed that rebuke from the Lord and from his word. Where he said, listen, you're all focused. You didn't realize what you just said, but that was directly contrary to my word and to my truth and to my program that I'm trying to accomplish. And so we're going to find here that God, very the Son of God, very directly deals with this church at Thyatira. They were a happening church. We'll see that. But he deals with them. And so I want us to notice how he reveals himself to this church in great power. And so notice there in verse number 18, and under the angel of the church of Thyatira, just as a matter of review, uh, who is Jesus writing to in specific? Who's going to receive this letter, open it, and read it? Okay, the church, but he's writing to the angel, which in uh, end of chapter number one, this is going to be the pastor. He's going to read this, and he's going to have the responsibility. That would have been a difficult letter to read. But he's going to have the responsibility, like a Timothy, to stand up and say, here's the word of the Lord. This is what Jesus is saying to our church, and, and I have to give this to you. And a faithful pastor will open up the word of God and say, this is what the, um, the word is saying. And so he's writing to the angel of the church and to the church at large and to us by extension today uh, at the church of Thyatira, write these things, saith the Son of God. I want us to grab a hold of that. I want that to, to, to get into our hearts tonight, this matter that Jesus Christ announces who he is. In the other letters, he has not done this. He's come out and given his attributes. He is saying, I have a sharp sword that goes out of my mouth. He, he's saying some other attributes, but here, before he gives his attributes, he says, listen, I just want you to know I'm the son of God. Son of God has all authority. All authority. Here's what I am. In fact, when Jesus said that he was the Son of God throughout the Gospels, it was the very thing in Luke chapter number 4 and Matthew chapter number 4 when Jesus had spent 40 days fasting before the temptation was the very thing in the first two temptations that Satan came and questioned. 
if thou be the Son of God, do this. If thou be the Son of God, then do this. It was the very thing that Satan questions, and even today, it's the thing that, that is questioned about him. Is he really God? And yes, he actually is. He is really God, and he has all authority. In John 19, in verse number 7, the Jews answered him and said, We have a law, and by our law he ought to die, they said this to Pilate, because he made himself the Son of God. They were going to put him on the cross for declaring the fact that he was the Son of God who, when he declared this, made himself to be equal with God. We find that over in, in Philippians chapter number 2, that he thought it not robbery to be equal with God, and so he is the Son of God. This is why it is so concerning to me, as I mentioned this morning. I'm not going to jump into this um, far, but it's why it's so concerning. I put it in my notes before I mentioned it this morning. When we start hearing people stand up and say, the will of God is of no concern here. We're talking about the Son of God. He rules over Congress. He rules over our church. He rules over my life. There is no place on earth he does not have authority. And one day they will bow their knee to the Lord God and they will, they will recognize the fact that he is absolutely the Son of God. But here to a church, a church that is assembling like us tonight, Jesus says, this is my rank and I have the right to speak to you. I have the right to communicate these things to you. There's never a passage of Scripture that Jesus does not have the right to deliver to us. He is the Son of God. He has all authority, and he sets the believers at Thyatira on notice. I'm the Son of God, and I'm talking right now would be a really good time to pay attention to what I'm saying. And so he says, I'm the Son of God. But then he gets into his attributes. I don't know, this morning and as I was, as I was reviewing this and, and thinking over it, the Lord smote my heart with this fact of the Son of God, Brother Tom. And I'm realizing we do not realize the awesomeness of our God, and I mean that not in a cool way, but the awfulness of our God. We have lost our respect and our fear of God. But this is not somebody that people talk about, you know, hey, Jesus is cool. Uh, you know, tattoo it on my arm. We're talking about the Son of God, my Creator. The one who gave you breath to get up and walk this morning. The Son of God. And he has absolute all authority. And notice how he portrays himself as the Son of God. The Son of God with piercing vision. Now notice there, he who hath eyes like a flame of fire. Here's the picture. He says, I have eyes like a flame of fire. When I look, it is all light before me. I, uh, I have an odyssey a Honda Odyssey, and I have a, a Chevy Trailblazer. The Odyssey, hands down, has better headlights. I get into my Trailblazer, and it's just the way they made the headlights. It doesn't have as good of headlights, but hands down, it, the, the Odyssey has better headlights. And you know what? When we're driving along, uh, everything in front is light. You get some of these newer, uh, newer cars with these, these super bright LEDs, even their dims, even their low beams are so bright that you need sunglasses at night. You know what I'm talking about? Like you're driving along, you're like, man, well you put on your low beams, and this was my low beams, and they're flashing back at you. And, but get the picture, everything before one of those types of cars that have those brilliant lights, everything's light. It's illuminating the path forward. Here's what Jesus is saying. Everything in my sight is brilliantly lit up. And so when Jesus looks at the Grace Baptist Church, or when he looks at Josiah Kagan's heart, he knows everything that is going on. All the dark recesses of my heart are absolutely illuminated in the sight of the Son of God. 
And 23 times in the Bible we have this this idea of the eyes of the Lord looking everywhere and and searching the hearts and and looking about Proverbs 15 and verse number 3. Every young man, every young woman, every man, every woman, every mom, every dad would do well to remember this. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. He sees it all. Hebrews 4.12, we know that verse well, the the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Uh, Such a powerful word, but then it goes on immediately to talk about the eyes of the Lord. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, in his sight. But all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Right now, as we sit in this room, Jesus sees everything in my heart and in yours. Is that not awful? We can get the picture that, you know, every time we come to church, it's all, all, all about what is bad in my life. and We can resist that. But friends, do you know that if I really want to become, be formed in the image of Jesus Christ and look more like him, I'll welcome him looking into my life and saying, hey, child, that, that's, that really doesn't please me. And we're all right with that. We're all right with his eyes seeing. Listen, a person that is, has nothing to hide is all right with someone finding something that isn't quite right. Lord, here I am. He has piercing vision. He sees it all. And I wonder what he sees in our lives. Jeremiah 17 and verse number 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Listen, friends, the heart of humility. And I, I told our class this morning, I've just, I've just read Andrew Murray's book on humility. And uh, I, would, I would encourage any one of you to, to grab that. It's on Hoopla. You can grab it on there and listen to it as an audiobook. But beginning to realize this matter of humility, Jesus exemplified it so very well. This matter of humility is, is, is a kingpin to our, to our spiritual growth and, and to our walk with the Lord. The spirit of pride says, no, there's nothing in my heart, I'm all good. The, the arrogance in our life is often deceived by our hearts. He says, God says right now that my heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and who can know it. I cannot know everything about my heart. And neither can you. And people say, well, just follow your heart. That is the last thing in the world you ought to do as a Bible believer. Follow your heart. No. What does the word say? If you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. Not if you follow your heart, then you're, on, then you're a, a good Christian. Your heart will lead you astray every single time. And so he's the one that says, my heart is deceitful. And then he goes on in verse number 10. I, the Lord, search the heart. He's the one that sees into my heart. I try the reins, even to give unto every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I'm the one that looks in. I see the heart. And listen, the best way for you and I to know our heart and to not be deceived by our heart is to allow God through his word to show me what is going on in my heart so I can correct it for his glory's sake. Boy, I need that. 
My heart is deceitful. I need the eyes of the Lord piercing into my heart and showing me and revealing what's going on. But it wasn't just piercing vision that the Son of God um, displays about himself. He says, I have perfect judgment, and his feet are like fine brass. I chew on that and chew on that. Lord, what are, you trying to, what are you trying to say to the church of Thyatira? Why are you saying that your feet are like fine brass? And, and I just want us to think of it in this way. It's, a, it's an emblem, brass being an emblem of his stability, of his permanence. Brass being considered the most durable of all me- metallic substances and, and compounds. So it, it, it's this matter that he's sure. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His judgments do not change. And praise God, his word does not change. Aren't you thankful for that? All those dealings are consistent. They're always going to be holy. They're never going to be wrong. They're never going to be crooked. God does not lie to us. They're powerful. Over in Revelation 1 and verse 15, when he was first uh, uh, introducing himself to the Apostle John, he says, and his feet like undefined brass, and here's, here's, here's what we need to grab a hold of, as if they burned in a furnace as if they burned in a furnace. Fine brass doesn't get fine without a furnace. This is something that takes heat, and it's a very beautiful thing once it's all done. But the sense here, as one man said, is that the feet of Jesus resemble gold bronze. Not as this uh, is when it is cold, but it appears when it is glowing in intense heat of a furnace. Where such feet tread, they utterly blast and instantly turn to ashes everything they touch or even approach. And I get the picture that that he is portraying himself. Hey, I see everything that's going on, and I also want you to know that as I approach anything that is against me, anything that is wrong, anything that uh, violates my word, anything that goes against my work, anything that goes against genuine Christianity, I will in an instant remove from your life. I'll judge it. I'll judge it. Brass has that sense of that judgment. I think of Hebrews 12 and verse number 29, for our God is a consuming fire. He comes in judgment consistently. He didn't do it for one and not another. He is consistent. Aren't you thankful for that? So the Son of God reminds them that he has piercing vision. He has perfect judgment. His judgment isn't going to be, isn't going to be slanted it's going to be spot on. And I'm glad we serve a Savior that, that does not deal with slant, does not respect persons. And I don't know about you, I want the Son of God to be able to have that type of relationship with, with our church and with me. I want His vision. I want it to see. Lord, Lord, if there's anything that, that is hindering our fellowship as a church with you and from us advancing and from you being able to build your church like you've promised, Lord, we want it taken care of. We want it incinerated. We don't want to hold on to it. So his piercing vision, he says he's seen it, but notice in verse number 19, he knows everything. I know thy works. Say that with me. I know thy works. What Jesus knows about your life and about mine is all that really matters. And notice the knowledge of the Son of God. He knows our activity in verse number 19. He knows thy works, thy charity, thy service, thy faith, thy patience, and thy works. That's a list. In fact, that's more of a list than it seems that the church of Ephesus received. 
I know all that's going on about you. I know everything that is, that is going on within your assemblies. I know what's going on at your homes before you come to church. I know your works. I know your deeds. I know your activity. I know your sacrificial love. I know your ministry towards others. Deacons, there's that word for, uh, that we get your, uh, the, the title deacon from is this word uh, service. I know what you're doing to serve towards others for, for the, uh, the good of others. I know all about that. I know your trust in the gospel. I know that you've not been shaken in the fact that you believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and that there's no other way to have the forgiveness of sins. I know your faith. I know your patience. I know that you're steadfastly enduring and you go through difficult times there in that city and in the face of idolatry and so many other things. I know that you're steadfastly enduring and I know thy works a second time. A second time. Now that startles me. Uh, because Jesus, again, just reiterated to them, I know what you're doing. Friends, tonight, does it give you any comfort or challenge to know that Jesus knows what you are doing for him? He knows. Well, nobody cares about my ministry that I'm doing at church. Jesus does. And he knows. Well, no one says thank you to me. Jesus does. And we can all improve in, in saying thank you and being grateful to one another. But Jesus knows. Jesus knows. He's seen everything you've done today. He's seen what heart it's come from. He sees everything. And really, in, in a lot of ways, that ought to be a great comfort to us, as well as a great challenge, because I want to make sure, we want to make sure that we're serving him with pure hearts and that we're serving him in a way that, that would honor him. This was a busy and active church. Like Ephesus, it was a busy and active church, but it seems that it's a, uh, even more active because notice there, it, it says the last to be more than the first. So what is he saying? He's not saying that you value the, the, the last or the least of you more than the, uh, the, those that have uh, more talents and so forth. Here's what he's saying. He's saying uh, the last works, what you're doing right now, is even greater and with greater intensity than when you even started. You've been growing in your activity. You're looking for more to do. You're not backing down. You're getting more busy. and you're, This is the happening place to be, and they were increasing in that. If being busy was the mark of a great church, Thyatira was a great church. Friends, sometimes we look at church ministry and we get so focused on programs. You know, the sweetest thing to me about this service tonight is, is the simplicity of it. We've sung and we're getting around the word. There's no special program that's drawing you out here tonight other than being with God's people, singing and preaching the word. And we get so focused on programs and all these different activities. And you know what? That doesn't make a great church. The fact that we've gotten together and to the best of our abilities, we've, we've brought praises to the Lord and we're giving time for God to speak into our hearts. That's what's going to make a great church. That's the type of church that Jesus Christ can build. That's a church that he can lead forward. Why? Because we're, we're in we're, we're endeavoring to be in tune with him. And so even as we, we prayed at the outset, Lord, help us to be in, in tune. L help us to receive this as from you and to allow it to change us. To change us. So he knows what we are doing. He knows our activity. But I want us to see here, he doesn't just know their activity. He knows what they're allowing. He knows what they're allowing. 
Now, look there in verse number 20. Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. Now, at that moment, we can either bristle or we can say, okay, Lord, I'd, I'd like to hear that. I don't like going to the dentist. I'm a little bit of an ostrich uh, with my head in the sand on, on dentistry. I just don't like it. I don't. Anyone else with me on that one? Just don't. Um, but you know, it's a lot better for my dental health if I'll go and, and, and when he says, there's a few problems in your mouth, I don't say, mm, I'll see you next year. <laughs> we'll see if it gets better. No, it's, it's better if we simply say, Lord, or to the dentist, tell me what's going on and let's get it fixed. So he says, notwithstanding, I, I see how busy you are. I see that you're increasing in all these things. I see that you're, you're, you're standing with the gospel. I see that you're being patient in all these things. But right now I have a few things that I need to talk to you about. And as the son of God, he has perfect right to do that. He has absolute right to do that. Listen, friends, have you given Jesus, the Son of God, permission to speak into your life this way? It's one thing, like we're talking to the church, the Grace Baptist Church. But listen, we're made up of individual members. Have you given Jesus Christ the permission to say, Doctor, I want to hear what you found out. I want to hear what you saw with your piercing vision. I want to know. Totally changes it, friends. Listen, none of us are perfect and we won't be till we get to heaven. So the importance of, of at this moment surrendering the heart, even though it's difficult. Listen, Jesus may have to change something significant in your life. Are you okay with that? Are you okay if something that you, has been going on in your life, like in the church of Thyatira, Jesus has to change are you willing to say, whatever it is, Lord, I just want to please you. I want to be right with you. I want to be like the church of Smyrna where there's no, there's no issue that you see. You see purity. I want to be like that. And friends, it all, it all comes right there in between, at that comma. And notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee. And we have a decision right there at that comma. Do we put up our hands and say, bring it on? Or do we say, another day? And that's an attitude of the heart. It's not, it's not an action that we do in a service. I, I have very rarely seen anyone stand up in a service and say, I don't want it. Very, I think one time in my experience here, I, I, very rarely, that's, that's not something, it's an attitude of our heart. And so I urge you as God's people tonight, gathering around his word, let's listen to Jesus, the son of God, who says, I have a few things against thee because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel. Now what in the world? We don't have any woman in here named Jezebel. What in the world is he talking about? He says, you're suffering, you're allowing, you're, you're letting, you're making it possible for this woman who who uh, calls herself a prophetess, who, who has self-acclaimed herself as a prophetess, one who is speaking for, for God and speaking forth uh, God's truth is what she's saying, to teach and seduce my servants. You've allowed this. Now, this sounds horrible, doesn't it? Like, it sounds really bad. Would you agree with me? Like, we don't want... 
if, you, if you're a student of the Old Testament and you've read anything about Jezebel, you don't want her to be named with your church. Like, you don't, just don't want uh, your church, Grace Baptist Church, and Jezebel, or the church at Thyatira and Jezebel to be in the same sentence. But it is. It is. He says, you've, you've allowed this. Uh, this is going on. This is a choice that you've made. It's an ongoing choice that you're living in. And it's a choice that Thyatira made. It's a choice that every church, including the Grace Baptist Church, can make on an individual level, on a corporate, uh, on, a, uh, on a, a whole level. We can make this choice to allow this woman, Jezebel, which calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce the servants of Christ. This word sufferest is the same word that God uses over in 1 Corinthians 10, verse number 13, when he says that, that God will not suffer you to be attempted above that you are able. He's not going to allow it. But here, this, this church has allowed. They've provided for. They've given a path for. They've said, here, we'll open the door. We'll give you the platform. Uh, and, and, and maybe it was somewhat uh, where they just didn't want to deal with it, so they allowed it to go on. We know that's what she's teaching in the classroom, but that's, what, that's what's going to go on. We know that she's hosting Bible studies over at her home and teaching these things, but we'll just let it go on. And I don't know where exactly it was going on, but at some point they had made a decision as a church either to turn a blind eye or to overtly give a platform to this lady to teach and seduce the servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you not agree that's a problem? So what was she teaching? A.T. Robertson suggests that Thyatira was the center of activity um, by the Nicolaitans as we've talked with their idolatry and their licentiousness under the prophetess who de um, was defined, uh, defined uh, uh, the church there. And so uh, probably very similar because of what God says here. It seems that she was encouraging them to engage in fornication and indulge in worldly feasting and indulge in eating meat offered to idols. Now, other places in Scripture, we found that, that the idols are nothing. God is the one true God. There is no other living God, correct? Are you with me? So Paul says idols are nothing. But uh, he, said he dealt with the conscience sake of, uh, of that. But here, this was, this was more than just a conscience issue, these people were indulging in the feasting that the world was indulging in. They were not coming out of it, and they said, you can be a Christian, you can follow Christ, and still indulge in the same worldly, licentious, uh, just throwing off all the restraint type of feasting that was going on as a part of the pagan and idolatrous worship. And this also included fornication that was accompanied by, um, by the pagan worship, and uh, it idolized and trivialized, in all reality, the sacredness of sex, human sexuality. And that was going on, just like it's going on in our, our day uh, in the world. And yea, even sometimes there are those that teach it's all right for the church uh, uh, not, to, not to take a hard stand on that, not to stand up against that. Uh, one man put it this way, it, in many, it had, Thyatira, it had many works. Many. They were increasing that. But it was not praised for its faithfulness to the word. It had many works, but they were not praised for their faithfulness to the word. What was acceptable to the local society had become acceptable to the church of Thyatira. What was acceptable to the society around them and to the culture around them had become acceptable to the church of Thyatira. Friends, let's just be honest. That's where America is. Many church splits happen over this exact issue because the world has crept in, which causes problems and division and all sorts of things. Sounds like the plan of Satan. 
But also, when churches stand and say, this is the stand we're going to take, then people start bolting, right? Because we don't, we, we don't need to be that, that strong. Culture isn't, listen, uh, pastors, a lot of times they talk about culture as being not good, but culture isn't that bad. No, culture is awful. Culture is godless. And we're seeing it on full display around us. Culture is godless and it's against God. Now, I'm not talking about uh, the, the, the culture of food in the sense of uh, certain uh, taste of food. We went to India and there's, there's certain flavors of food. Uh, there's certain, uh, certain places and, uh, and landmarks to go see and uh, so on. There's part of culture of an area that's kind of interesting. If you go down to, to Louisville, I remember going down to the Louisville Slugger uh, Museum. There's parts of the culture and going along the river there and riding one of those three-wheel trikes or four-wheel uh, um, bikes down there and that's fun that's a part of culture in a good sense but when we're talking about culture we're talking about the the philosophies of the world it's exactly what first john 2 and verse number 15 is saying love not the world what is he talking about don't don't love the world don't go hug trees don't don't love the ground don't love your no no he's talking about the culture of the world the philosophies the vain philosophies of the world and so what was acceptable in the culture around them had become acceptable within the church and this is where i really want us just to hone in and do some work here tonight that would help us to to break some things apart there are jezebels in that church there were jezebels in that church who were standing up or a jezebel who was allowed to stand up and say hey listen it really isn't that bad You know, it, it's kind of fanatical to, to separate and stop doing that. I mean, that's for the independent, fundamental Baptists to, to stand up against that type of stuff. And we get, we get knocked all the time as independent, fundamental Baptists for having a strong stand against worldliness. The fact is, coming into the independent Baptist churches around our country is a bunch of, a whole lot of world-likeness. And even as I preached the last time in Pergamos, what what absolutely gripped me in the middle of that message was the fact that we have, we have staked our position on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know how to get to heaven. We know how to preach the gospel. But we as well want the world likeness. We want the world likeness in our churches. We don't want to be that far out. And this goes to our daily lives. I am finding more and more God's people do not want to stand out in the crowd. They just don't. They don't want to look different. They don't want to talk different. They don't want to be at different places of entertainment. They just want to blend in with the world. And friends, tonight, Thyatira was a church that wanted both. They wanted to be really busy for God. But right there in their church, they were suffering. They were allowing a Jezebel. The illustration is Jezebel corrupted Israel and subverted them away from God. And here's what happens. A person that is standing with the world and is very worldly in any sort of way within a church, and they become a voice for world-likeness within a church, then, and that's allowed to go on, and they have a covetous heart, and they have a, a heart that is lust-filled, or they have a heart that is, that is constantly unsatisfied and ungrateful, and they're allowed to have a platform in the church where they're allowed to corrupt people away from true godliness and genuine Christianity, and that's what was going on in the church of Thyatira. There was this Jezebel who was corrupting them away from the true path of following the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't know if there was an actual lady named Jezebel. I, I tend to believe that Jesus was using this as a, as a, uh, 
a nickname or a title for a woman that was doing this. I don't, I don't know, and I'm not going to be dogmatic one way or the other on that. The fact is, there was a lady that was teaching and corrupting them away from the way of Jesus Christ. His words. Remember what we talked about this morning, Matthew 28 and verse number 20, that we are to teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you to conform their life to the master. This Jezebel was doing the exact opposite. Conform your life to the world. It's okay. I know that's what the preachers of bygone years have said, but it's okay. We're in a dangerous place when we start playing friends with the world. And it was God that said, whosoever is a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Boy, would the Lord just search our hearts tonight. As I, as I think on this, how does this deal with the American church? Where is the American church, and where could the Grace Baptist Church be allowing some Jezebel? I'm not just, now I'm talking generally, okay? So I'm not, and ladies, just, all right. Where could the American church and where could the Grace Baptist Church allow the same type of teaching, the same type of corruption? Say, so, well, pastor, we, we seem pretty strong here and we, you know, we have our stands. Listen, just remember this, that the church that Jesus sees, it's not just about what happens on this platform, it's about what happens in our homes. It's about what happens in our daily life. So we got, I go to an independent, fundamental Baptist church that takes a strong stand. Do you take a strong stand in your daily life? Jesus is not, his vision is not limited to what happens on this platform. He goes with us. He goes with me. That means when he sees the Grace Baptist Church, he's not just, just seeing the inside of this auditorium. He's seeing everywhere that you and I will go tomorrow. He's seeing it all. And, and I want us to think here that there can even arise a corrupt teaching within. And I want us to think about this in specific. The American church has listened to the voice of Jezebel in the area of music. And we're going to deal with a couple areas tonight as a matter of application. I did not go in here and say, well, Jezebel was teaching on music. But I will tell you this. I will tell you this. It is where the American church is going. You watch a church that is walking away from God and walking away from Christ's likeness, one of the first things that go is their music. Why? Satan knows it's powerful. Do you remember that Satan was the first choir director in heaven? Do you think that he's going to use his talents to subvert people and corrupt? Listen, right now, even as I talk about that, music is incredibly personal to you. What's playing in your car, what's in your playlist on your phone, it's incredibly personal to you. In fact, my wife and I were talking about this, uh, this matter. It's almost like, uh, I'm going I'm to try to be careful here, but it's almost like the talk that, that dads and moms are supposed to have with our kids once they get to about teenage years. We're going to have the talk. You know, it's just like uh, no one wants to have that talk, right? In my experience, this is one of the areas in the church family no one wants to have that talk because it is incredibly 
personal and incredibly volatile. But could I challenge your thinking tonight? And could I start off with this? I am not asking you to please me with your music. We need to please him. And I want you to consider this fact and how that, how that in, in the American church and in the Grace Baptist Church, we could listen to the voice of corruption. And it's happening. Um, a couple copies of this over at the bookstore. I want to, it's called Harmony at Home. Brother Tim Fisher wrote it. A lot of people, we've lost the battle right here on this, on this, this point. Is music moral or amoral? I sure hope we all say moral. But regardless, if you say amoral, I, I want to challenge your thinking. It's not neutral. It is not neutral. Um, it's pretty amazing how fast you can uh, change the activity within your home just based on music. It really is. Pretty amazing how you can change your thoughts just on music. In fact, Saul understood that. He brought David in, right? Brought David in. But um, Scripture shows that music cannot be neutral. Uh, we can see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Uh, the flesh is lusting against the spirit. There's, there's a war that, that goes on. Um, but over and over, we find in Scripture examples of, of music not being neutral. Saul is, Saul is one of those cases. We'll touch on this in Exodus chapter 32. Music is not neutral. Uh, Psalm chapter 40, music is not neutral. There's a difference between old song and a new song. But it says uh, history as well uh, concurs that music is not neutral. Music is the most powerful stimulus known among the perceptive senses. The medical, psychiatric, and other evidence for the non-neutrality of music is so overwhelming that it frankly amazes me that anyone should seriously say otherwise, Dr. Max Schoen, uh, the psychology of music. I'm going to read several quotes here and, and just follow along. Music can be smooth, uh, soothing, it can be invigorating, ennobling, uh, or vulgarizing, uh, philosophical. Uh, it has powers for good as well as evil. Dr. Howard Carson, American Journal of Psychiatry. Rock music encourages passions and provides models that have no relation to any life the young people who go to universities can possibly lead or to the kinds of admirations encouraged by liberal studies. Alan Bloom, the closing, mind of, uh, the closing of the American Mind. Um, from a book entitled, Is Christian Rock a Contradiction? The, the emotional and moral force of rock is incompatible with the Christian message of, of the right order of the emotions as they are subject uh, to sanctify, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in the personality of the believer as well as being opposed to the gospel itself. Therefore, uh, Christian rock is a misinterpretation of the sacred. Um, you say, well, wait a minute. Um, you know, Christian rock, it, that's all right because we've added Christian words. Do you know that... that Rock artists have never hidden their feelings about the true intent of rock. Never. Um, in fact, in, in some ways, and I'm going to try to be careful here, but they're, they're so obvious that I, I feel a little bit ashamed reading some of their stuff. Uh, rock musicians have never hidden their feelings. 
about the, the, their, what their musical sound, apart from the text, I'm not just talking about words, I'm talking about rhythm, music, notes, and so on, it, it, it's communicating. They've never, they've never hidden. Immature Christians often take issue with this notion, feeling that only the words can give a song a moral sense. But listen to what rock performers, scientists, doctors, and others have to say about rock, what rock music communicates apart from the words. Notice David Winter uh, in New Singer, New Song. Uh, a incessant beat er, uh, does erode a sense of responsibility in much the same way as alcohol does. You feel in the grip of relentless th- stream of sound to which something very basic and primitive in the human nature responds. I want us to, you, uh, I want us to I'm not going to read... Um, a, a ton of quotes from this, but I, I want us to read, when asked what their music was all about, founders of rock and roll music, what their music was all about. Uh, it, this quote was given uh, many years ago, John Oates in uh, a circus, rock and roll is a 99% immorality. And they didn't use that word, but we have a lot of kids in here tonight, and I just want to be careful. 99%. That's not a Christian, a Christian writing about. That is, in their own words, they know exactly what the, 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 the arrangement of that music is all about. 99%. Sensual. Rock and roll is musical pornography, according to another. That was written in The Legacy of John Lennon. Rock has a message, and its message is of immoral permissiveness. Again, allowing you to to fill in the the blank there. That's what was said over 20 years ago about rock music. And there's a lot more. Get the book, uh, Harmony at Home by Tim Fisher. You can order it on Amazon. Rock musicians have been saying these things, and if musicians uh, were saying that, 30 years ago, what is it now? What is it now? But here's, here's, here's my point. Here's where we're going to go. Do you realize there are Jezebels within churches that are saying, it's all right. It's all right. Do you know one of the number one things that gets pushed back against in a church is if a, a pastor or a church wants to take a stand in music, you know what's going to get pushed back on? Well, but this person, they're, they're really, this is really good stuff. Listen, listen. There's a reason we sing what we do here. There's a reason that we opened up hymnals tonight and sang the way we do. I'm not against new songs. But I'm also not for worldly style of music and a worldly song coming into this church. We must take that stand. We must stand. And there are Jezebels that will, will, will say, ah, it's all, it's all right. Listen, the fact of the matter is it's, it's not all right at all. And if we just take a, a, a simple perusing of this, um, we can find that, that they know what's going on in the whole Christian rock scene. They know what is going on. They know exactly what's going on. You can go and, and, and look these up. Uh, music comparison charts. If you like this secular artist, you'll probably like this sacred artist. That's a problem, friends. If you like this motivational speaker, you'll probably like Josiah Kagan. Like, what? You know what I'm saying? I mean, where do we have preachers of the gospel being, you know, like, except the, the ones that are getting off. But you understand what I'm saying? Casting crowns. If you like them, you're going to like Edwin McCain. Oh, it, 
why, did, why are they making these comparisons? Because they have similar sounds. All we've done is change the music to some shallow lyrics. Uh, Leland, you're going to like you too. I remember when, uh, when uh, Apple updated their phones and they, they put you too on the phone. You remember that? You remember? But you know what? It, it, if, if, if you won't listen to you too because it's not, not sacred enough for you, you can find an alternative. Pod. I can't even say the name of some of these bands. Mudvayne. Sounds great. Toby Mac, you're going to like Kirk Franklin. Third Day, you're going to probably like, uh, you know, if you like uh, Wallflowers, you're going to like Third Day, the, the sacred side of it. And this one got me. Um, Skillet, I guess that's a, a name uh, for a Christian group. Um, pretty amazing. It was, it was the most eerie website I've been on. The, the, the secular alternative to that, Red Jumpsuit, apparatus, finger 11, crossfade, and so on. And you, can, you can find these things where they just compare. Why? Because they have similar sounds. The last thing the world should be able to do to us is to compare, compare us to them. What a problem. What a corruption that is going on, and we don't even see it. Friends, listen, we, we're having, you don't realize, but the Grace Baptist Church has to take a stand often about this issue. Among, among Bible-believing churches just like ours, we have to take a stand. You know, it matters where we go to, where we go to camp and what they're going to be listening to at camp. It matters. It matters if we go in with another church, what's going to be played at that church function. It matters. Christian rock and the mainstream music move closer together. April 27, 2006, it was written in the New York Times as they began to talk about how Christian music, Christian rock music, Christian contemporary music is moving closer to mainstream music. Instead of growing apart, mainstream rock and Christian rock seem to have grown closer together since 1980. Well, congratulations. That's not of God. Something's wrong here. And if in our heart we're, we're, we're struggling with this, friends, listen, then a Jezebel has gotten in and corrupted your thinking. That's where we are. Beware of contemporary Christian music. It builds a bridge to the world. And it is disobedience to God's word. And it's very, very, very dangerous. You say, oh, come on, pastor. Contemporary Christian music, that, those songs speak to my soul. Listen, give God a chance to review your library. You say, are you saying that we have to listen to all hymns? No, we play things constantly before the service that are a little bit different than, uh, than hymns. There's a table full of them. There's a bookstore full of them. Uh, get some good Christian music and put it in your home and see the difference that it's going to begin to make. But contemporary Christian music, I'm not just talking about contemporary in time, but contemporary in style, is very, very dangerous stuff. Uh, I'm going to throw out some names here. Chris Tomlin, uh, of, uh, of, and it was said in Relevant Magazine, said of him, uh, whether he claimed it or not, Chris Tomlin is a prophet. Uh, quickly, as quickly as he records an album, it becomes the lyrical theology of our generation. His songs are sung in churches around the world, sculpting our doctrine and shaping our ideas about God. And friends, by the way, there are many churches, there are many churches right now who are adopting different doctrine because of the music that has entered the membership and entered their churches. Hillsong is a church that we would not have any part with their doctrine at all. 
Bethel is a church we would not have any part with in their doctrine. We separate from Bethel. But a lot of times the way they pull people into their doctrine is through their music. Listen, Jezebels have gotten in and corrupted in in that way. And we say, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's a huge deal. I cannot be more emphatic about it. It's a, it's a ginormous deal. So as we think about Tomlin, uh, one, of his, one of his statements that he made is, conservatives and charismatics can stand in the same room, listen to the same music, worship the one true God. Music unites. What is their cry? Let's all get it together and put down our differences and just sing Kumbaya together. Tomlin has close associations with Roman Catholicism. Catholic Matt Mahler wrote Tom, uh, Tomlin's hit song, Your Grace is Enough. Mahler and Tomlin co-wrote Crown Him, Mastery, and Your Grace is Enough. Uh, Mahler's goal with uh, his music is to unite evangelicals with Catholicism. He says the arms of St. Peter are really big enough. Do you realize that flies in the face of everything we preach in this place? Today, I had the privilege to witness to a, to a Catholic, and you know, I did not say, you know what, I, I think you're a pretty sincere guy and you're going to get to heaven. No, I, we're looking for an opportunity to show him the true and living way through Jesus Christ. But yet, through our music, all this corruption's brought in, the corruption of doctrine. Michael W. Smith admits that his music is heavily influenced by Alan Parsons, one of the most satanic of rock musicians. Well, wait a minute, Michael W. Smith, I mean, he's, he's pretty good. You can go on the internet yourself and you can find the association and his, his following in line with this stuff. I'm not saying that, oh, none of these songs were ever beautiful. But I am saying, who's writing this stuff? Who is, who's behind it? What's going on? Matthew West identifies as a contemporary Christian artist as well as a pop rock artist. Well, which side of the fence am I going to stand on? Am I with the world today or am I with... Jesus, where am I? The Gettys, and I know this one is probably going to, if you notice, we don't, we don't use the Gettys music here. You say, they're so conservative. Now listen, friends, before you turn me off, please listen. Again, Satan's, Satan's goal is to blend the line between the world and the church. And you know one of the things that strikes me the most about Gettys, you're going to listen to them, and it's not the same uh, 7-Eleven type of music where they repeat the same phrases over and over and over again. Okay? It's not going to be that type of music. In fact, probably if you've listened to the Gettys music, you're going to say, boy, that just lifted my heart. And frankly, in some ways, I understand what you're saying. But the fact is, and it's been a choice, in fact, I think there was a time where you, it's impossibly cool as a church unless you use Gettys music. Did you know that? I'm joking. It seems like conservative, a more conservative contemporary Christian music. But uh, likable as the Gettys are, and conservative as they appear, the bridge is, is, is very dangerous. The Gettys' goal, according to their website, is to bring everyone together musically. They want to bridge the gap between the traditional and the contemporary. They're at another spot. It's not outright 
Christian rock, but they're at another spot. Let's just get them to the contemporary. Let's get them away from that, that stuff that they've been singing for, for years. The Gettys have no boundaries. They don't understand separation. Now, I know some of you are thinking, well, we sing songs in the hymnal that, that were written by people that we wouldn't agree with, and I agree with you. But the Gettys are mainstream right now, and they're leading a large group of people right now. And so it makes a whole lot of sense to me if we're going to stand against an ecumenical movement that we would also stand against and not use someone that fully embraces and espouses that. So their heart is to renounce separation, which is really, and I, I'll throw this name out there, some of you um, might recognize, is really the heart that was, that was proposed in the 1940s with Harold Ockengay. Harold Ockengay was the, um, the father of the new evangelical movement. Just all about the gospel. It's exactly the church of Pergamos. It's exactly the church of Pergamos. We'll be loyal to the gospel, but nothing else really matters. Nothing matters. We can all just get together, and as long as we agree on the gospel, we're good. What a, what a horrible... Does, does the whole Bible matter or not? Does it all matter? It does. And so, uh, in, their, in their song, In Christ Alone... Uh, they, they had an opportunity. It was chosen to be performed at the enthronement of the, uh, England's Archbishop of Canterbury in 2013. We were so honored, they said, that one of our hymns would be chosen for such a historic occasion in British life. They should have rather said, and confronted at that moment, having the platform, confronted the sins of that group including, and not the least of which, the Church of England in that same, um, that same year dropping its ban on gay clergy and civil partnerships becoming, um, becoming bishops. And just understand something. This isn't, this isn't a, a mark of honor. Oh, our music got to be used, and it is so watered down doctrinally that the Catholics don't even have a problem, and the Church of England don't have a problem using it. We got a problem. Because the lack of boundaries, the Gettys are a bridge to exceedingly dangerous, uh, dangerous world of the broader church with all the sins and heresies. And just like Hillsong and many other groups that fall right along in that. Listen, there is a reason we choose the music we do. Maybe we're not cool, but I'll tell you what, I enjoyed every moment of our song, our song time together. Every single last moment. It was glorious. It was absolutely pleasurable. I have other things that I won't read. Eight bands you didn't realize that were Christian. That seems to be a problem. CCM groups love secular rock. This will blow your mind at how many of those that are writing in modern day CCM make their full diet, full out, full blown rock. Even some saying, I don't like Christian radio. And they're writing the worship music for the Son of God? And the church is okay with this? Here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to realize that, that Satan wants to corrupt the church. And he will do it in any way possible. We can talk about many other ways that uh, the, the theology of Jezebel gets into the church. We can talk about many other ways. And, 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 
and they would be valid, but this is one of the ways that he corrupts and leads along the church into false doctrine and the wrong things. And when we begin to use the same vehicle as the world, their rock beat, their rock sound to carry words of honor to the Son of God, we have a problem. Here's the thing, friends. No one right now, no, no worldly venue is going to come and take the tune to Amazing Grace and put their wicked words to it. They want nothing to do with it. Maybe you say, well, some of those used to be barroom tunes. Okay, let's, I, I, maybe you can find a hymn that, that, that used to, and it would be a, kind of a crazy hymn that would, would be used in a barroom. Anything that we'd sing in here would be a kind of a crazy thing. But they're not, they're not coming and taking our music. We're going to the world and taking their music, and we're saying, hey, if we just add, I love you, Lord, or you're awesome, or you're cool, or you led me out of darkness, then it's all of a sudden Christian, and we're all good. This ought to be offered to our God, the, the Holy Son of God, which thank you for choosing that song, Holy, 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 the Holy Son of God, and we can, we can take this and give it back to him as worship. Blasphemous is what it is. We could go into many different styles, uh, whether it's country music or hip-hop. I, I do not even understand why, why there, are, there are those that want to take hip-hop and, and, and try to push it into Christianity. There is, there is zero, there is zero amount of godliness in hip-hop. And yet it's done all the time. Lecrae. I might not even be saying that wrong. I don't listen to him. You know, something I've noticed in all these, these Christian artists, very little about Jesus Christ in their, in their bios. It's all about how many CDs they've sold and how many Grammys they've, they've won and all those types of things. What a mess. Ephesians, or Exodus chapter 32 and verse number 17, Moses coming down the mount. Hey, get down there, Moses. They're having a problem down there. You know the, the, the golden calf that Aaron put together and they're worshiping this idol and what went right along with it? Music. On his way down, he said, this sounds like the sound of war. Joshua and Moses are talking back and forth to anyone. This sounds like the sound of war. As they get closer, he says, it's not the sound of triumph. It's not the sound of defeat. It's the sound of singing. In their music, they had the ability to have a sound, a noise of war that was completely godless and went right along with their sensual, their sensual dancing around that, around that golden calf. What a thing. Ephesians tells us that we're to sing to the Lord from the spirit-filled heart, speaking to ourselves in songs and in hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. That's what we're to do. God gave us a new song, not the old song, Refreshed. With new words, he gave us a new song. He gave us a new song, friends. Even praise unto our God. It's going to sound different. And again, I just I say, I don't, I'm not asking you, I'm not providing you the list or my playlist and saying this is what you need to listen to or what, what we play here is what you need to listen to. But I am saying this, we ought to all go back and say, Lord, has there been, has there been a corruption that has been allowed into my heart and thus into the Grace Baptist Church because I'm listening to stuff that is so worldly and wrong and off-center? I'll touch on these briefly, but Jezebel has other theology. 
and we've touched on this, but the theology of pornography, well, we aren't going to go have an overt affair, but we can have a, an affair behind closed doors using imagery. It's what it is. And the church is corrupted with this. The church. Now, the thing is, I have no clue. But the fact of the matter is, the statistics that, that show the American church is being derailed with pornography. It's a problem. And friends, as I say that, listen, God can help and deliver you from that. You do not have to stay there. The grace of God is powerful enough to bring you right out of that and give you victory over it. Are you with me tonight? And listen, you do not need to, to stay there and, well, if I mention this or if I come to pastor, if I, I talk to another brother, they're just going to kick me down. <laughs> Please know that there is help, first of all, with him. But if we have the heart of Christ toward each other, we'll help, we'll help through. And we won't use it as a, a lever, as a, as a weapon against. I think of the entertainment. Oh, Jezebel has done a lot of teaching about entertainment. It's all right. It's just violence. It's just on the screen. Even though God says he hates violence, it's just on the screen. And we corrupt our soul. I mean, some of the violence that happens, the, the bullet traveling through the air and, and hitting a person, and, and, and so much so that if a, a child watches that, they have nightmares. What are we doing? Gratuitous, uh, gratuitous sensuality and violence and False love. Do you realize philosophies? Satan is teaching. Satan has a pulpit and is called a TV. And he teaches through that TV a constant message. Hey, your love isn't what Jesus did for you on the cross. Love is something you just fall into and just happens kind of naturally. No wonder our Christian young people don't know what love is when, uh, when, when they uh, step into marriage. No wonder. No wonder. Because they've been portrayed a love that is just happens. If you get with the right person, it'll just happen. And Jezebel has corrupted the church. Would Christ be comfortable sitting on the couch with you on family movie night? Would Christ be okay getting sitting down on the Beside the bed and looking at what you watch on your, your phone for entertainment or in the break room. There is so much corruption. We could go much further, but the Spirit of God, the best I know how, I really believe that one of the things that is corrupting the American church is our music. I'm watching it happen over and over and over again. It's very overt. And we see churches just moving away from God. God help us. The Holy Son of God sees all. He knows all. And he gives a sober warning. Let's look at this warning in verse number 23. This warning goes on. He, he says, listen, behold, I will cast her into a bed. What is he saying? I'm going I'm to cast you down. And, uh, and them that commit adultery, those that are corrupted and are indulging in this as well, I'm going to cast them down into great distress, great tribulation, except they repent of their deeds. And he warns of this, severe judgment. Listen, we cannot corrupt the holy things of God and not expect a holy God to hold us as his children to account. He says, except they repent, except they change their mind, change direction. And he says, and I will kill her children. All those that follow along. Listen, there is no spiritual life 
at the end of the road of corruption. You will find a spiritual deadness between you and your, uh, your heavenly father. You will find a breach in fellowship between you and your father. And Jesus warns that, don't you want to be in fellowship with me? Then allow me to clean out the, and confront the corruption in your life. And so severe judgment would come if they did not repent, if they did not change their mind. And right now, there might be a needed uh, change of mind in your, your heart. Listen, I've allowed this, and I, I've been okay with this, but Lord, you're convicting me tonight. You're making me a little bit uncomfortable tonight. And so right now, I'm changing my mind. Lord, whatever you want is good with me. There's a stunning realization in verse 23. And all the churches shall know that I am he which searcheth the reins and the hearts. The judgment that came to those that were corrupt would be serve as a notice to the rest of the church. I'm the one that analyzes the heart. It doesn't matter what some uh, big, um, big church thinks or what, uh, what, how far you get up in the, the status of churches and, the, and climbing that ladder and so on. It doesn't matter what other believers think. I am the one that analyzes the heart. I'm the one that sees. I'm the one that's searching your mind, your reins, your heart, the inner recesses of your life. I'm the one that is seeing all this. We will be held accountable to the Son of God for the works in our minds and in our hearts, the works that flow out of them. Or oh, we're all going to stand and give an account. For the, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may receive the things done in his body according to that he has done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. There's some people in Thyatira that were standing and holding the line. And what does Jesus say to them? Listen, I'm not going to put another burden on you, is what he says in verse number uh, 24. I don't want to put another burden on you. You haven't, you haven't grabbed a hold of this doctrine. You haven't, you haven't known the depths. You haven't experienced the depths of Satan's corruption. You haven't gotten into all that. You haven't listened to the Jezebel. You haven't, uh, you haven't followed along in all that. And to you, verse number 25, hold on. Now hold on like... I, some people talk about, hold on to the rapture, brother. Which is nothing more than, be passive to the rapture, brother. Right? No, it is, stand your ground. Be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor, your works are not in vain in the Lord. Hold fast. Adhere to sound doctrine. Listen to it. Allow it to have influence in your life. Verse 26, and he says this. Listen, I'm giving a warning. I want you to hold fast, but I also want you to strive to overcome. He that overcometh and keepeth my works unto the end. To him will I give power over the nations. Keepeth my works, not my word, my works. Genuine Christianity that flows out of word. But those that follow, those that are disciples, are those that continue in the word. He says, those that overcome, and, and when he's talking about this overcomer, it, he's not talking about someone that hasn't, you know, they overcome once in a while. This is a person who has gotten to that, that place where they are so close to the Lord and they, they want his um, power on their lives so very much that they have become characteristically overcomers. Not that they're perfect, but they're overcomers. Don't you want to be an overcomer? That's what Jesus is saying to us. Don't follow that crowd. Be an overcomer. Uh, overcome the wrong doctrine. Overcome the, corrupt, um, the corruption. And 
keep my works, those gen, that genuine Christianity, and I will give you power. It's believed that, that, uh, that this is referring to when um, believers come back with Christ in the millennium, and he will give them opportunity to reign and rule with him. What a great day that will be. He says, I'll also give the morning star. I can't be dogmatic on this. The Bible doesn't seem to explain it, um, but it, it seems like it might have to do with uh, being part of the, of the rapture and enjoying the, the, the wonder of the, the rapture and being take home, uh, uh, taken home to be with the Lord. But uh, the morning star that comes before the darkness, as one man said, the scriptures does not explain this expression, but it may refer to participation in the rapture of the church before the dark hours preceding the dawn of the, uh, of the millennial kingdom. And we go through the, uh, the, the tribulation and we go through the, the war of Armageddon, all the battle of that Jesus Christ coming back in the second coming and then the millennium. I don't know what exactly the morning star uh, has to do with, but you know what? I thought about this. If Jesus is going to give it to me or you, if we're doing the right thing, then I want it. Right? I want it. I, I, want, to, I want to experience that. Listen, we cannot tolerate corruption in my life, in our family's life, in our church. We cannot tolerate the corruption of the world and expect to be okay with Jesus. We can't. Ephesians 5, verse 25, Husbands, we're told to love our wives even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify it, set it apart, cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that that should be holy and without blemish. Do you know what God wants to do for the Grace Baptist Church? He wants to sanctify us and set us apart. He wants us to be holy. He doesn't want there to be corruption. I want you to take your Bibles and turn to Acts 19. I want to close with this passage of Scripture. Acts 19, they're in Ephesus, and uh, they are having a grand time. Lord's working. Church is pretty new. But as the church gathers together, one of the, one of the outcomes of their trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and being discipled and forming a church there, Acts 19 and many, verse 18, Acts 19, verse 18, and many that believed came and confessed, Acts 19, verse 18, and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found them 50,000 pieces of silver, a lot. And you know what? Do you see the next verse there? Let's read that uh, verse number 20 together, uh, good and loud. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. Do you know what happened in that church? When the corruption was cleaned out, the word spread through the community. God's word grew. Perhaps one of the reasons that we would struggle is not so much our stand. Maybe we have the right stand, but perhaps one of the reasons that, that the word of God doesn't grow in our day as we would like it to grow is because we're allowing some corruption. It's not that we say, well, have the platform in my life. You, you can have this, this room in my life. Maybe we just said, you know what? I just don't want to deal with that. And perhaps we are being drained of the power of God because we've allowed the voice and the theology of Jezebel to bring corruption and bring us away from the Lord. And I don't know about you, but my prayer in response to this is, Lord, show me where, it's, show me where I'm hearing the voice. Wherever it is. It doesn't, it doesn't just have to be music or, or any other of the areas that we, we talk. Show me, show me. 
because we want the power of God on our lives. When they cleaned out the corruption, they, the word of God grew. Which, by the way, when the word of God grows, what have we noticed in the book of Acts? More people come to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when corruption's out of our lives, my life and your life is brighter. More salty, not in a nasty way, more salty. So perhaps you'd pray tonight, Lord, I've, I've allowed some corruption. Perhaps the Lord is specifically pointing out some corruption in your life. I've allowed that corruption from the world in my life, my family, and thus my church. I give you permission to analyze me. Lord, what you show me tonight, I will deal with to the best of my ability with your grace. I want to be pure for you. Is that your heart cry tonight? I want to be pure for you. Maybe you walk out of here and I don't agree. Listen, you don't need to agree with, agree with me. I'm not asking you to come to agreement with me. But I, I do think we can all agree on the fact that there was, there was a teaching in that church that was corrupting that church away from God, and that teaching had to do with, I'm going to adopt the ways of the world and bring them into the worship of God in my life and in my church. And at that point, we can all agree. And at that point, we can ask our God to help us not to follow in the footsteps of Thyatira. We want to be, be a going church, an active church, but we do not want to be a church that's listening to that voice. And God's people said, Lord, would you help us tonight? Would you, the one who analyzes our hearts, our minds, would you analyze us this evening? And would you help us uh, to do business with you in a way that is honoring to you? Lord, you know my heart tonight as I walk from this place. I pray that we as a church would respond and that we would say yes to you whatever you're dealing with us in our heart about. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the power of it. We pray in Jesus' name. Would you stand with your heads bowed? Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.